1: Yeah, I, I do. So while we were worshiping, I just had this envisionment of this, of just gray lands, you know, lifeless lands. You know, that dust was all over it and stuff like that. And, you know, it was just barren. But out of it comes this individual with a colorful cloak, and I'm thinking like of Joseph. And he's dancing in the field, and he expands his coat, and it grows, and it grows, and expands. And as he's dancing, his cloak is getting you know, larger. The, the ground of the, of the dust turns into dirt, and life comes from it, and it just encompasses the land and just grows and grows and grows. And then all you just hear is, holy is the Lord. God Almighty. Who was and is to come. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Ben. Makes me think about our haftra for today from Isaiah. In chapter 63, when you see the Lord coming, if I can find it here, and then I will say, okay, so in Isaiah 63, it says, who is this that comes from Edom? solute of garment you know and it's the one who is majestic in his raiment and girded with his abundant strength it is i who speaks in righteousness abundantly able to save and then if we skip down to verse 7 the kindness of the lord will i mention the praises of the lord in accordance with all that the lord has bestowed upon us and the abundant goodness to the house of israel which you bestowed upon them in his compassion and in his abundant kindness For he said, yet they are my people, children who will not be false. And he was unto them a savior. In all their troubles he was troubled. And an angel from before him saved them. With his love and with his compassion he redeemed them. He lifted them and bore them all the days of the world. Praise God. He, he was unto them a Savior. And he was troubled as they were troubled, right? Because when he came, as you saw in, like in the vision, he was walking across that dust, right, where all the trouble was. And yet, within it, he brought forth life and restoration from that place of despair. Amen. All right. Uh, bless the Lord. Let's go to Psalm 119. Every week we read a section of Psalm 119 to declare the beauty of God's Torah and to align our hearts with it.
1: How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word.
0: I love that scripture. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You know, it's a really significant passage. And I I know I've said this many times, but what it means to hide the Lord's word in your heart is to memorize it. It's to know it such that the Spirit can bring it to memory in the right time and in the right place that you can apply it. I've hidden your word in, in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've made it a part of me. I've placed it on my mind that I meditate on your word and it and it becomes a part of us. And uh, it's just it's beautiful. Lord, we give you praise and thanks for this morning for your goodness and your kindness. We thank you, Lord, that you seek us out. We thank you, Lord, that it is your great desire to bring restoration. and that you have always been seeking your children. You always pursue, and it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. And we give you thanks for your goodness. Thanks, thank you for your presence here this morning. We ask that you would speak to us by your spirit and refresh us and renew us in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Actually, the whole aspect of hiding the Lord's word word in our heart that we might not sin against Him is flows right into uh, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to begin at the start of our portion and Nitzavim, um, which is your standing. It's in Deuteronomy twenty nine, starting in verse nine. Actually, it's in a Christian numbering, it starts in verse ten. So. I may say the wrong verses here and there, according to what's on the screen or not, so. But um, what's happened, you know, over the past few weeks, we've been gearing up towards the children of Israel going into the land, Moses is preparing them. And we've we've talked about the aspect of exile, but God's purpose is being redemption. And that all these weeks of consolation are building up to the high holy days when we'll go in to celebrate the, the final redemption, right? And so this is week seven of the weeks of consolation. And the portion begins out with Moses talking about a renewal of the covenant. So here in Deuteronomy 29, he says, You are standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God, the heads of your tribes, your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the sojourner who is in your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you, and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, it is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant, but with whoever is standing here with us today before the Lord our God, and with whoever is not here with us today. So, if we go back to the beginning of those verses, you know, it ends off with, "We're renewing this covenant with everyone who's standing here today and with those who aren't standing here today." But when he started out, when he started out speaking to them, he says. You're, all, you're standing today, all of you, you know, heads of your tribes, elders, officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, even the stranger who is in your camp from the one who chops wood and your servants, your slaves, right? The ones who chop wood and who draws your water, right? So he's speaking of not only the people who are standing there today, but of the future generations who will come from these people because the covenants are from generation to generation, right? And when you're born into the family of the Lord, you are then a part of the covenant. Now then, of course, you have to choose to walk out in faith and actually accept that yoke upon you, right? But when you think about uh, your offspring, you know, they're children of the Lord. You know, they're continuing in the covenant obligation that you have gone into. And then as you lead them in the way, teach them the truth, such that they will know and come to accept and choose, it for, choose God for their own and walk in his ways. Another thing about what's listed here is notice that this is all the men of Israel, their children, their wives, also the stranger who's in the camp and the one who is serving are standing to hear this renewal of the covenant. And there's actually a a participation that they have in the covenant, even though they aren't the children of Israel, even at this time. Because the Torah itself has obligations for the stranger who dwells among the children of Israel, not just for the children of Israel. So everyone in the community still has something in the Torah that applies to them even at this point in time, before Yeshua opened up uh, the way for Gentiles to be grafted into the commonwealth of Israel and take on a, a greater status within the community than just a stranger who dwells among Israel. You know? So I find that worth, worth noting. Um, and in line with the idea of renewing the covenant. The children of Israel need to know what are the terms of the covenant. What is it that God expects of them? Now, at the, at this point in time, there weren't uh, there weren't Bibles readily available in every household, right? The Torah at this time <laughs> and there was what, one, <laughs> but but even you know in in the times of when Israel was a, a nation and they would uh, come together every Sukkot or not, every, every seventh Sukkot, and, and they would read the Torah. Even at that time, Torah scrolls were not widespread. This was a primary chance for the children of Israel to come and hear. And I'm, I do want to read scriptures from this to, to give that picture from Deuteronomy 31, starting in verse 10 is what Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of remission, which is the Shemitah, right, when debts are uh, canceled, the the year of remission of debts at the Feast of Booths. The Feast of Booths is also the Feast of Tabernacles and also known in Hebrew as Sukkot. When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this Torah in front of all Israel in their hearing, Assemble the people, the men and the women and children, and the alien who is in your town, so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this Torah. Their children, who have not known, will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you are about to cross the Jordan to possess. So here again, when they're to have the seven-year reading of the Torah, it's everyone is to come and here, you know, normally at the pilgrimage feasts of Passover, Pentecost, and tabernacles, all the males 20 years old and up are expected to go to, to those uh, pilgrimage feasts. But here, on the seventh year, God's saying that everyone needs to come up because we're going to read the Torah aloud, right? And so that's a key, once again, reinforcing that this is for all who dwell among Israel. Now this is also painting a picture of the coming Messianic era, okay? Because it's every seventh year, everyone comes up at the Feast of Tabernacles to hear the Torah read, okay, by the king. The king himself reads the Torah to the people. And so that means that there's six years that go by, and then in the seventh year, everyone comes to Jerusalem, and the king reads the Torah. It's a picture of the, the seven millennium. You have 6,000 6, years leading up to the return of Yeshua. And then when you're beginning the seventh millennium, the king, Yeshua, will be crowned. And he will send forth the Torah from Zion to all the nations. And here all the nations have gathered at Jerusalem to hear the king every seven years. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's a beautiful picture of what's to come. And we're going to talk. Uh, actually, Michael's going to teach on the high holy days. After service, uh, we're going to have lunch, and then he's going to give a teaching, and overview, and we'll see how far he gets. There's so much to talk about, and uh, <laughs> so, but it, it'll be great. So, if you can, please stay after. It'll be worth. It'll it'll be worth the time. All right, so here's the Lord calling us to renew the covenant, to hear his word, to hide his word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him so that we can go and walk in all his ways, right? Because then after everybody heard the Torah in that seventh year, then they go back to their homes. It's going to be seven years before they hear it all read again aloud. So what do they do in the meantime? Well, they're going to forget it unless they're in community Going to synagogue, learning, and living it with one another, right? Because if you don't live out the Torah, if you don't walk in the commands, how can you possibly remember them or know them or, you know, have that encounter of life that the Lord has placed before us? And we're going to talk some about choosing life today. I really like Deuteronomy 30. Uh, I don't know if I've said that before, but it's a... We're probably going to read the whole thing. So, (laughs) all right. So, um, but okay, so here God's giving reminders and he's setting things up so that his children will hear his word and be able to walk in his ways because he knows our tendencies, right? And so in Deuteronomy 31, verse 20. The Scripture says, this is the Lord speaking, he says, For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and have grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring." For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. Uh, another translation I, I read said that, um, yeah, I know it's in, inclination. The, the aspect of he knows it's inclination. He knows the inclination of the people is to sin. Right? He knows the desire of the heart of man is, is wickedness. And so he knows that this will lead to exile. But even still, he's saying, I'm still inviting you in. I'm still going to take you to the land. I'm still going to ask you to walk in my ways. But I know that at some point, he knows at some point, the children of Israel will sin and turn away. And in Deuteronomy 29, uh, verse 24 through 28, after, well, the Lord will send, his children into exile because they have sinned. And the scripture says, all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to the land? Because the land is laying desolate. It's kind of as as what Ben saw before, just dust and gray. They said, what caused the heat of this great anger? Then the people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them. God's whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. So they become exiled. But again... God's intention is not for the exile to last forever, but to bring redemption, to bring his children back. And, it, you know, similar to what we talked about with everyone going up to Jerusalem in that seventh year, that's the picture of the end gathering. That's the picture of the redemption, of God bringing everyone from the corners of the earth on the clouds of heaven into Jerusalem before the king. So in Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 1, The Lord speaking of the children are in exile, and he says, So it will be when all these things which have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity." And have compassion on you, and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God had scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. So the circumcision of the heart, it's not a new concept, right? This is a concept that's been from the beginning, that God's desire was always that his children would seek him out of love with all their heart, with all their soul, and that the circumcision of the heart would occur What's the circumcision of the heart? Well, that's the removal of spiritual barriers that prevent us from walking in the ways of the Lord and from seeking Him out, from choosing good. And the circumcision of the heart is, is critical in the walk of believers. Right? And there's, there's two aspects to it. God circumcises our hearts. And he also calls us to circumcise our hearts, right? There's, there's two components to it. Not only he can do it completely, right? But he still calls us to walk with him and to choose that aspect of removing that which would impede us from walking with him faithfully. And continuing in verse 7 of Deuteronomy 30, The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecuted you and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you today. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand and the offspring of your body and in the offspring of your cattle and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. It's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. And that he will rejoice over you. How about that? What a great, a great image. Because it's the joy of the Father who receives back what was lost, right? Overflowing love. Okay, so kind of continuing on with the idea of God circumcising our hearts and the need for it, Paul talks about it in Colossians 2, in verse 6, and then carrying on in verses 11 to 14, he says, "'Therefore, as you have received Messiah Yeshua the Lord, so walk in him, and in him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Messiah.'" Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. If we can go back one slide. Please. OK, so here in the scriptures it says, you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Right? The uncircumcision of your flesh is not actually speaking about the circumcision of the flesh, funny enough. Um, it's really speaking of the uncircumcision of the sin that, that the sin of your flesh having not been removed from you. Does that make sense? So it's the, he's talking about really a spiritual circumcision, but relating it in terms of the flesh, because often within, uh, within the, uh, the sayings of the sages, they would refer to the flesh, like they would liken the flesh unto sin. Okay, And that's why there was always this talk about the flesh must die You know, it's like the sin committed in the flesh must die, must be taken away such that we might live. So when you were dead in your transgressions and your transgressions uh, actually resulting in uncircumcision, then he made you alive together, forgiving you through your repentance and through his, his mercy. And Romans 2 actually speaks about this, uncircumcision of the flesh, Romans 2.25. We're going to have to do a study on Romans. Romans is, uh, it's a challenging book. It's often misunderstood. Um, And so when we read it, we can come to all kinds of crazy (laughs) conclusions. But we're going to try to go through this a little bit and See if I can explain it in a way that makes sense. And uh, I'm going to turn there just so I have a little reference here. Okay. Also, before I go here, I'm just going to jump back one more time. (laughs) When, when, When we were reading the last passages from Colossians, it spoke about the certificate of debt that was against you, that was nailed to the cross. That's not the Torah. Just in case, um, it says the certificate of debt, debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, taken out of the way, nailed it to the cross. That's not referring to the Torah, although sometimes that's uh, the interpretation that's given. The certificate of debt was a specific piece, a specific bill that kept track of your debts in ancient times. Okay? And so when you had a debt, it was written on this. And then if it was paid, then they would stamp it. I think it's tetelestai, which was like it's paid in full, okay? Which is also along the lines of what Yeshua said when he was on the cross, when he said it is finished, okay? So that certificate of debt, when it's paid, is stamped as paid. That's the thing that consists of decrees against you because it states all that you owe that you have to pay, Okay, but it's marked complete. It's nailed to the cross, right? And if you think about what were the accusations that were brought against Yeshua that were nailed to his cross? It was king of the Jews. (laughs) That was the only accusation that could be put on the bill against him. All it was was a statement of truth. It's interesting, right? But yeah, so that's what's wiped away is the certificate of your debts. Not the Torah. Okay. Now your debts do come as a result of violation of the Torah. Right? But the Torah itself is not what is against you and isn't what accuses you. But you will be judged by it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you'll be judged according to your works, according to... The word of God, right? Um, But your bill that is nailed to the cross is different. Okay, so there we go. Beat that one down. Okay, so let's go back to Romans 2. Romans 2. Paul is difficult to understand, but we're going to try. All right, so he is talking here in Romans 2. some some believe that here in Romans 2 from verse 17 on that Paul is speaking to proselytes so gentiles who have become legally Jewish through circumcision and he's talking to gentiles who have not become legally Jewish Jews through circumcision okay so you have the circumcised the gentile who'd been circumcised and became legally Jewish and a gentile who is not, okay? Both believers in Yeshua, both part of the commonwealth of Israel, okay? And so in in verse 17, and the reason why I mention that is because the scripture says, but if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the Torah and boast in God, you know, and, and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the Torah, you know, he's, so he's going on saying, if you bear the name Jew, so by that impl- implying that he's talking about people who weren't born Jewish but now have become legally Jewish. Okay, So he's talking about comparing that person who's made the, the legal conversion to the one who hasn't. Okay, And he's saying, he goes through and speaks about, you know, if you know what the Torah says, if you know what the truth is and what you're preaching, do you actually do it yourself? Do you really walk in all the things that you are are teaching? Or are you someone who teaches it, but practices something else, right? And so then he goes on to say, here in verse 25, he says, indeed, circumcision is of value if you practice the Torah. But if you are a transgressor, transgressor of the Torah, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Okay, so he's saying that even though you have made the legal conversion to become a, a Jew, if you are not upholding and living by the Torah, then it's as though you didn't really make a conversion or, or become legally Jewish because you are at, you're acting as one who, does not, who is not spiritually having his heart circumcised. And so you're not carrying it out. So the circumcision did not ac- accomplish what you desired it to accomplish. And so, so, if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements, keeps the commandments of the Torah, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? So, even though he remains legally not Jewish, because he walks by the commandments of the Lord, he has received a spiritual circumcision that has brought him into unity with God. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the Torah, will he not judge you, who, though having the letter of the Torah and circumcision, are a transgressor of the Torah? Having trouble with transgressor. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter, And his praise is not from men, but from God. Right? So what Paul's message here is that it's not your status, it's not your legal status as a Jew or your legal status as a Gentile that makes you have a spiritually uncircumcised, or spiritually circumcised heart. It is the actions that you carry out and you walk in. That's the inward transformation that then bears forth fruit outwardly that actually determines who is the one who is walking faithfully with their God. So that's Roman Study 1. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to do more. Yes. Uh, we, do we have a microphone? No. I just had a quick question
1: real fast about the letter. Okay. Because it's always mentioned in this letter, the letter, the letter. Is that an actual physical document? Or is that just uh, the letter of the law, like they just say, just that phrase? Because they're mentioning it so many times, I just didn't know if it's actually and also a statement of faith. You know, like there's the statements, the 13 principles of faith. There's all these different things. I just didn't know if it's an actual thing. So
0: I don't know if that plays a role into that as well, too. So Yeah, I, I don't know specifically what the letter is. Um, that's a good question to follow up on. Um, but if I were to think of what does it, what does it mean in, in this case or what does it imply in this case, it appears to imply the legal status of your identity. You know, because <clears throat> circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not by your legal identity. Right? But uh, that's definitely worth looking into, and I'm sure that's not the fullness of the answer. If it turns out to be wrong, I'll... Let y'all know what I find. So but I do take it as being it's not the establishment of your legal identity because even um, John the Immerser speaks of that. Right? Do not say for yourselves that you have Abraham as your father, right? But rather uh, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Right. So yeah, it was not about the it's not about legal identity. It's about what transformation has really taken place. Yeah. In the heart, and um, you know, with with the whole aspect of Paul talks a lot about circumcision, talks a lot about um, these things. Normally, when he speaks of circumcision, he's speaking of the step in the process that uh, actually represents the, the formal transition to a legal status of being a Jew. Yeah. Okay, Um, so in, in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 19, Paul again further states it saying, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Right, so again, this further states he's not, when he's speaking of circumcision, he's not talking about the Torah. Does that make sense? Because the commandments of God are the Torah, and so he's really talking about your legal status is not what matters what does matter is what you do with the commandments and how you carry them out how you live your life for the lord so again you know i mentioned before that ultimately god has to circumcise our hearts and give us a heart of flesh you know with his with his torah written on our hearts and and in ezekiel 36 verse 24 Again here in Ezekiel 36, God's talking about this bringing the exiles back. There's a common theme, redemption. He says, for I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people, and I will be your God. So here he's saying, I'm going to circumcise your heart. And by removing all those spiritual impediments that keep you from walking in, in, in my ways, you, I will then actually be causing you to walk in my statutes, and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. This is understood to be uh, by the rabbis and sages as pointing to something that the Messiah will do and something that is experienced in the messianic era. Now, do you think that we have circumcised hearts now, right now? Partially. Yeah, I totally agree with partially. Partially. Because do you still fall in temptation to sin, right? Do you still have this evil inclination that is drawing you away, right? But yet we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit. We have the Torah beginning to be written on our hearts as much as we'll let the Torah be written on our hearts. And then we, so we have this circumcision of the heart that is taking place, and it's progressive circumcision of the heart leading up to the time when it's completed in full by Yeshua when he comes. But in the meantime, even though we know God's gonna do it, we don't just sit back and say, God's gonna do it. I don't know why he's taking so long, <laughs> right? But instead, we, we, we move into this circumcision of the heart. So in Deuteronomy uh, 10, this, the Lord says, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. And also in Jeremiah 4.4, 4, He says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So there's a call for us to circumcise our hearts and to be active in that, in participation with the Lord as he's doing it in us as well, right? It's part of the whole thing of sanctification. It's a process. And sanctification, circumcision of the heart, go hand in hand. So we're called to return with all our heart and all of our soul, listen to his voice, and observe his commandments. Right? Now, when we, when we talk about the Torah, you know, often there's, there's a, a statement where, where Paul made it. I don't remember where this is. He says, you know, if you transgress one part of the Torah, you're guilty of you know, breaking all. And so some people take the point of, well, if that's the case, then it's futile. You know, why even, uh, why even try? And I know I badly quoted that. If someone has a reference, I'll look it up. But, but the, the idea that the Torah is, uh, is too difficult is not found in Scripture. Now, granted, it is too difficult from the aspect of earning eternal salvation, right? That is too difficult. No one can do it because everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all, as a result, are in need of redemption, right, that comes through Yeshua. But the Torah itself, you know, was not designed to be, uh, to be salvation. It was to guard a relationship and to make us like our master. But in the scripture, it speaks of the Torah not being too difficult. In Deuteronomy 30 verse 11, Moses says, for this commandment, which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it? But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may observe it. How about that? So the word is very near you in your mouth, in your heart, hiding it in your heart that you may observe it and keep it. It's not too difficult. So let's get our minds around that, right? It's not too difficult. The Lord has laid it before us, and he equips us and enables us and gives us ways of walking out his words so that we can choose life, right? Carrying on in in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity, And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter it and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Oh, by, and I did not complete this. Is that right? Okay, sorry. By loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice. And holding fast to him, cleaving to him, right? For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. It's a beautiful passage that he calls us to in walking with him. So choosing life, right? It's choosing to walk with the Lord and walk by his ways. You know, so but what does that what does that look like? What does it mean? choosing life and what does it look like well it's trusting in yeshua and becoming like him obedience and faithfulness to the covenant right in john uh, 12 yeshua is speaking and these are just john 12 is just in the days before uh, yeshua's crucifixion and and the preceding verses speak about how some had believed in yeshua Some of the Pharisees and the leaders had believed in Yeshua, but they had kept silent. But Yeshua cries out, and he says, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. So Yeshua's words are light and they are life. And his expectation is that we're going to walk according to his walk according to his light, according to the words that he's spoken. And the words that he speaks are the words of Torah and he, because he is the living Torah, the, the living Torah. So walking in his light, right? That's walking out his commandments, which are, which are life, as he says. We're to hear his words and to do them. And as, uh, as James said in, in chapter 1, Verse 19 through 22, he says, "'This you know, my beloved brethren, "'but everyone must be quick to hear, "'slow to speak, and slow to anger. "'For the anger of man does not achieve "'the righteousness of God. "'Therefore, putting aside all filthiness "'and all the remains of wickedness and humility, "'receive the word implanted, "'which is able to save your souls. "'But prove yourselves doers of the word "'and not merely hearers who delude themselves.'" Right, because if we're hearers and not, if we're hearers only and not doers, then does not our circumcision become uncircumcision? Right? It does. And we become those who delude themselves saying, oh, well, we know Yeshua. Just like we spoke about John the Immerser saying, don't say for yourself, you have Abraham. Rather, keep, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't say for yourself, yeah, I said a prayer, I'm good. Instead, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance maintaining your faith and trust in Yeshua as the author and perfecter of your faith, right? We have to walk this out. And within walking this out, you know, we can can learn, we have to learn so that we can walk it out, right? The more we learn, the more we're accountable for. That doesn't mean don't learn. (laughs) It still means dive in, right? But now as we go and we learn, we have to realize that the key principles of the Torah are love. Love towards God and love towards our neighbor. Right? In First Corinthians thirteen, Paul talks about how we can have all prophecy, we can have all knowledge, we can have all these amazing things, but if we don't have love, we have nothing. And we truly love through walking in the way that God has commanded us to love, that's that's how we know what is right, what is good, and what is life giving. Um, let's uh, let's go to Matthew twenty-one, verse twelve. We're going to continue on. And hit both of the. Uh, gospel readings from this week okay Yeshua entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves and he said to them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer but you are making it a robber's den and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Yeshua said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. So Yeshua comes into into the temple and he drives out the money changers. And he says, one, that this house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And two, he said, you're making it a robber's den. Now, these two statements are, are referring back to passages in Jeremiah and Isaiah. And interestingly enough, these parallel with, uh, with something from Deuteronomy 29. Um Let's go to Deuteronomy 29, verse 18. Okay, this is right after, okay, so, you know, we've kind of jumped around a little bit. These verses are right after the, the first verses we read about renewing the covenant, okay? And saying, you all are standing here today, not just you, but your descendants to follow. And he says, picking up here in verse 18, beware, lest there, are, there be any among you be among you a man or woman or a clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, I'll have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. So here's one again who's deluding themselves and saying, I'm good. I'll have peace. I've heard what he said, but I'll have peace anyway, right? And it goes on to say, the Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven, okay? So in Jeremiah 7, you know, when she was talking about uh, they've made it into a robber's den, in Jeremiah 7, I'm trying to think. Actually, I don't, know, uh, I don't know what the verse reference is, so I may have to skip over that. But within that passage, what Yeshua is quoting back to is the people who are saying, we have the temple, we're trusting in the temple, and whatever actions we're taking, that's going to cover us. And he's saying, no, that's." Jeremiah says, that's not going to cut it. So Yeshua's referring back to that, saying people don't put your trust in these outward observances, right? Instead, you need to repent, which is what Jeremiah 7 was talking about. And then when he spoke about his house being a house of prayer for all the nations, he's referring to Isaiah 56. And in Isaiah 56... Isaiah six six says also the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him and love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. right and He says the Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares yet others I will gather to them to those already gathered. So he's speaking of, again, this final redemption where he's going to bring back Israel and he's going to bring back people from the nations who have joined themselves to him to come to hear the Torah read by the king. Yeah, And so Yeshua is calling these things out in, in that he's making these statements of stop relying on these outward things. Right? Instead, turn with repentance and then do them. Do them from a right heart and make this a place that will draw people in. Be that light to the nations because God has his intention that his house will be a house of prayer for all nations. Right? Okay. And so just in trying to wrap up here, at the end of Deuteronomy, and when we were reading Deuteronomy 30, Verse eight, verse 8 to 10, I believe. Okay, I'll start here just in verse 9, right? When he says that when you again obey the Lord, the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. That's his desire. Draw, draw back his children and rejoice over them and with them and pour out blessings, circumcise their hearts, that that, that that relationship might be fully restored and vibrant. And then the last thing, so even in this time of exile, I have to go back to Isaiah 63, right? Because we're waiting for the final redemption. Now, and actually I, I don't know that it's in... I'll just flip over to Isaiah 63 briefly. Okay, yeah, in Isaiah 61.10, scripture says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. And in the exile, God is with his children. He's with his children in the exile. And he is afflicted. Okay. 63.8, 63.8, for he said, surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. Right? That's what he does to us today. He lifts us and he carries us. He has clothed us in garments of righteousness. And an angel of his presence has saved us. Amen. And so within that, he's given us all we need for life and godliness and righteousness that we can walk with him and bless his name and look forward to his coming and seeing our king crowned over all the earth. Amen. Lord, we love you, we exalt you, and we bless your name. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your kindness, for the mercy that you extend to us, Lord, and the grace that you've given us. We thank you that we do have Yeshua, Lord, that we trust in his name. We trust in the grace you give us through him. And Lord, as we do it, this is an active trusting. It's one of placing ourselves into your hands, of laying our lives before you. Lord, of participating in the circumcision of the heart and removing every spiritual barrier that keeps us from walking in righteousness. Lord, help us in these days of repentance that are leading up to Yom Kippur, Lord, to purify our hearts. Lord, to prepare a place for you, to set aside everything that entangles us, Lord. And that we would seek your face, that we would hide your word in our hearts, that we would meditate. On your Torah, and that we would walk it out in love and in joy. We ask you your restoration, your blessings, Lord. we give you thanks in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.